Welcome to episode four of Icy Cocktails. I'm Zach. And I'm Aaron. And we have a great show today. Like, literally. This is probably the first show coming into it that we... Uh, is it called preparation? Is that what you do when you make the cocktails before coming out? It is exactly what I mean. Uh, so today we're actually going to focus in on just a single uh, uh, style of alcohol. Let's uh, start off that way. We always wander. Uh, yeah, I'm sure wandering will happen. Uh, but today we're going to talk about absinthe. Uh, it sounds like, Aaron, you got into absinthe about December of last year. Is when that... I started drinking it as a, as by itself, yeah, mm-hmm. about December of last year. So today, how we're going to run it, because we actually both prepped for once, so we're going to talk a little bit about the flavor profile of absinthe, we'll dive into some history, and then we'll talk about how do you make it yummy. Mm, it starts off kind of yummy. But... Mm-hmm. So let's talk flavor profile. How would you describe it? Uh, the The most obvious flavor profile that everyone's going to always pick up on is that it tastes like black licorice. Um, it's it's technically uh, star anise is the the flavor profile that is really getting those flavors out of it. Um, besides the other, like the the Wilmerd, which is part of uh, you know kind of the classic bit of what makes absinthe absinthe. Um, mm-hmm. But um, otherwise, it's just Pernod or uh, uh, oh crap, what's the other one? Uh, chartreuse. Oh, yeah. I was like, I don't know where you're going with that one. Uh, uh, well, know, chartreuse has got some. Well, okay, yeah, fair enough. Chartreuse has, has an anisey flavor to it flavors, as well. Yeah, uh, no, Pernod no. also, but yeah. all very kind of similar with the uh, anise aggressive attack and botanicals used in it yeah, as well. Very heavy botanicals, very heavy anise, so you get the the black licorice flavor. Um, very heavy. Um, this particular one's got some some floral notes to it that's Ooh. that's a little bit different, but very good. Um, hadn't quite expected that. It's a little bit more, a little bit lighter and refreshing than I would normally call for an absinthe. Hmm. Um, like it's kind of odd to say that, but yeah. So today we're actually both trying uh, two different styles of absinthe. Uh, Aaron has some Pacifique. It's a um, absinthe vert superior. My French is horrible, and my French teacher's rolling over in her grave. Uh, and then I'm, and his, so as French as that sounds, where is this absinthe made? This is actually distilled in Woodenville, Washington. Nice. So super legit on the Frenchy stuff. Uh, <laughs> and I'm trying out today uh, absinthe. Uh, it's absinthe refined. This is made in France. Uh, mine tastes like absinthe. <laughs> like I've had this how would you describe it right so uh what, you do get a little bit of the anise flavor in it but i'm tasting a lot more botanicals in mine i don't get any flowery overtones or anything i just get kind of a um warm i want to say just shy of savory um kind of flavor let me try again let's have a little drink yeah, yeah i had had to take a sip while you were talking and like i think I think me saying floral overtones is not really flowery at all. There's definitely botanical there, mm-hmm. herbal. Um, there's just there's a, some note that's something that's making it a little bit lighter than I'm used to. But I also I also prep it 
in the past a lot hotter than uh, I did with this one. So, so normally you go with less water and a little more absinthe. Yeah. So my my story that I I promised I'd wait for the podcast for. Um, I I had like three weeks off from work at the end of the year last year, and um, for whatever reason, like all of the plans that I originally had had to go do things like go to California, go do this, go do that, they all went through. I was so I was literally at home for three weeks with a fully stocked bar. Um, OMG, what to do? What to do? <laughs> and I started binge watching Californication. Ah, uh, that's on that. So Californication is finished now, right? Yeah, it's been finished for a couple of years. I think. Awesome! It's um, one of those shows that I started watching. I got like four episodes in and was like, okay. I'm going to wait till this is done and I'm going to sit down and watch everything. And that's exactly what I did. I think I watched like all seven or eight seasons in like a week, maybe mm-hmm. a week and a half, something like that. Um, it was really, really good. Right. And like halfway through, there's this episode where I'm like, they're drinking absinthe. That's kind of awesome. Wait, I have that exact bottle of absinthe. And up until this point, I'd really only used it as a wash or as a part of a cocktail. So like, yep. Making Sazeracs and using it to, to do the, the rinse on the glass, things like that. Or wipe around the rim or any of the number of things that folks do to kind of just add a little tiny flavor to an uh, otherwise different cocktail. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm like, well, let's, let's just try it by itself. Let's see what it's like. And so I went and grabbed the bottle and having never had it before, I was just kind of reading it. Like never having had it by itself before. Right. I was just kind of reading the bottle and it said... You know, prepare two ounces of absinthe to one ounce of, or to three ounces of water. Mm-hmm. And, you know, had the whole sugar cube and doing it over the over the spoon. and Yep. And so, you know, I poured it and drank it that way. Added some ice uh, just because I wanted it a little bit chilled. Yep. And, uh, you know, at, at that ratio, we were talking about uh, that particular absinthe was... 72% by volume. Okay. So at two to one, you're getting, I can't do math in my head well, all of a sudden. Two and a half. To, two and a half to one. one. It would be two to one. And a, it would be one to one and a half would be what right. it would be, right? It would be the ratio. One and a half to one, I guess. One and a half ounces of water to one ounce of that. Correct. Right? So that would end up being like what? Like still somewhere north of? 20-ish percent. Oh, way north of 20. Yeah. Like, like. Like we're talking like closer to you're talking basically whiskey levels, like forty five to fifty percent probably. I'd, yeah. I'd have to like actually break out a calculator to do that math. It's percentages, and and I don't care that much. Mm-hmm. That's um, my issue over here too. I'm like, ah, it's a drinking show. I don't have to like this is not my math podcast. No, <laughs> well, you have a math podcast Shh. and you can't do this. Don't tell head? anybody. Oh, no, it's okay. well, it's a different math. It's oh. new math, like they teach the kids. Oh, all right. So it's just you're always right. Correct. It's like you guess and check until you get it right. And even if you're wrong, fuck it, you're right. All right, we got it. Hey, you dropped the F-bomb first this time. Not my fault. Ah, so much for our safer work rating. <laughs> yeah, because we're working on that really hard. Yeah. Um, at any rate, that's a really hot mix for absence. Yeah, so you have a few of those, three or four in an hour and a half, and, and you're, you're crawling across the floor on your lips. You're not quite crawling across the floor, but you're not that far behind. Uh, I think the most I've had in one night was... Uh, I finished off the bottle, like the remaining eight ounces, um, mm. in like about a two-hour time period. Nice. Before going out to drink. Well, like you do. I think, yeah. uh, so I started drinking absinthe, well, actually, my first uh, attempts to find absinthe was in the early 2000s, or 
mid 2000s okay um it was really hard to locate in the states Mm -hmm. like super hard but we were going to canada me and some friends so i called around and found that you can get it in canada i'm like awesome because i wanted like uh Later on, we'll talk probably pre and post ban and the difference between absinthe made in the Czech style or whatever it is that doesn't include any um, of the wormwood. Uh, but I was looking for the real thing, right? As real as you could get at the time. And so I went to Canada and I went to the first liquor store I could find in Canada. And I walked in and I'm like, oh my God, Canada is the greatest country ever. <laughs> now, people will talk about how beautiful Canada is. People talk about how polite the people are. People will even talk about how awesome it is to have universal health care. Do you know the single thing that makes Canada an amazing nation? I'm, I'm going to guess it has something to do with their alcohol selection. They have samples in the liquor store. Oh, my God. When, when are we going to Canada? <laughs> I know, right? Like, I watch it, I'm like, oh, my people, I want to be Canadians. Get me a Tim Hortons and a toque. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I went to the first liquor store. Note, I said first. And I ran through the samples a couple times, uh, and I finally went back. They had a special counter for um, things you couldn't find on the shelves, and I'm talking... To special th- counter for when you've had too many samples? No, that was a nice police officer to stop me later. Um, and so I went up to this guy, I'm like, hey, dude, uh, do you have any absinthe? And he's like, oh, sorry, man, we just sold out. We, we don't have any. I'm like, oh, that sucks. And he goes, uh, but hold on one second, let me check. Check, check what? Oh, we've got a computer back here that's linked to all of our liquor stores, so I can tell you where the stock is across any store in Vancouver. And I'm like, oh my, yes, please. That's kind of the bonus of state-run or yeah. government-run liquor stores, right? They're all on the same exactly. computer. So he was able to call it up and go, hey, which of these absinths do you want? We've got like three different kinds. Here's uh, where you can find them. I'm like, uh, I hadn't actually thought I'd have options, so... I uh, picked one at random based off of a quick internet search. And don't use your phone in Canada, by the way. That's a really bad idea. Internet costs a lot. (laughs) Um, uh, Got myself a bottle of absinthe, came home, loved it, right? Um, I was doing, when I initially started, I'd mix, like, you know, use the sugar cube and the water and do like you do. And then kind of stopped doing that and just started, you know, drinking the absinthe and adding a little bit of water. And then eventually just started drinking the absinthe. Uh, it's one way to go. That yeah. seems like it'd be a really like if you drop a couple ice cubes in it, it would dis- it, it distills slowly. out a little, or I mean, it uh, yeah. softens a little bit. Um, I actually like my absinthe a little colder than we have ours today. Yeah, me too. Um, but you know, we didn't have ice water or a little distributor thing. Just add ice for the next round. Exactly. Um, funny thing, I went to a New Year's Eve party. Um, with my bottle of absinthe one night on New Year's Eve. For those at home, he's literally holding up an imaginary bottle in his other hand. there's an imaginary bottle in my hand. Uh, And I had a friend who was there who had uh, said he wanted to try absinthe. And he was, you know, I don't know, in his 50s or something. He's had tons and tons of alcohol. Uh, He loves his liquor. And so I'm like, okay, cool. Well, let's get you some uh, water. Let's get you some absinthe. Let's get you some sugar and mix that all up for him. And... I had never actually, like, when I drink absinthe, it just tastes like alcohol, right? Like, I mean, yummy alcohol, but there's nothing we mystical. We need to work on your descriptors, right? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Uh, when I drink alcohol, I love me the alcohol. It tastes <laughs> yummy, right? Fair enough. Um, when I have, like, I, I go into alcohol assuming that it's going to be yummy and probably give me a buzz. Those are 
fairly good assumptions. Yeah. Uh, this guy was freaked out beyond belief to try absinthe because he thought he was going to start hallucinating and like uh, <laughs> blow his head off somehow with his guitar and fall in the lake and die. I'm like, it's the Green Fairy. Well, yeah. I'm like, dude, come on. It's it's just it's just a high proof um alcohol. You'll be fine. Just take a drink. He had like three or four drinks. He's like, I have hit my tongue. I can't feel my tongue. I'm like, what is wrong with like? Lost his fucking mind, and I was like, "Ah, God damn it, of dude!" Suggestion. It's yeah, and he just totally psyched himself out and was done. He's like, "I, I, I can't finish this. I, I'm like freaking out here, man." I'm like, "I will finish that for you." <laughs> <laughs> so, actually, let's talk. What, uh, this is time for a first test of the show. Ooh. We were talking earlier, and you told me you wanted to make yourself look smart and, and, oh, and no, interesting. <laughs> so let's see if I you can... I believe my exact words were, you need to stop setting me up to sound like the expert that I'm not. But anyways, go ahead. You're going to do it. That's absolutely not what I heard, so... <laughs> yeah. That's what so if you had to describe what kind of alcohol absinthe is, right, um, as, as far as... Um, and I'm blanking on words here. High proof liqueur. High proof liqueur. Really? Now, why are you saying that? <laughs> he did a little dance. That's like, ha, I got you now. Um, I don't know why I would say that. I know that for the longest time, um, like for an example, when it was, there was a time period when it was banned in France, but it could still be like, it was basically banned from being called absinthe. Mm-hmm. And so they literally sold it as wormwood liqueur or wormwood wine yeah um so and, so that's where i'm coming with the liqueur statement what's, it's, what's it's, the what makes a liqueur how would you describe a liqueur um can i go to your description of yummy alcohol <laughs> yes you can um, but right. you're gonna you're gonna lose the little points on that one with our audience yeah yeah probably um you know, I actually don't honestly know what the tef- technical definition of a liqueur is. So, so a liqueur is typically uh, a spirit that starts out, but it is, has some additional sugar added to it. Often, yes, this Post-completion, right? So yeah. you've already made your alcohol, you add some sugar to it, you bottle it, and mm, yumminess ensues. They're usually lower proof rather than higher proof. They're also usually specific to a, a flavor. Correct. Um, Which you can argue the absinthe is very specific to a flavor. It is. Um, it's but, more of a blend because of all the herbals, but still, yeah. it is very much so specific to a flavor, similar to, I, I think the, the most obvious comparison for a liqueur would be Sambuca just because of uh, the black licorice flavor. Yep. Uh, but in fact, it's uh, a it's classified as a spirit because there is no additional alcohol, and it is very or is there no additional addition of sugar, sure. and it is still very high proof. All right, so you get to be the smart one for this particular Woo-hoo! show. Hey, don't worry about it; it'll happen more. Um, uh, that's like a challenge. I'm like I'm not going to let that happen. So, well, that might just make the podcast better. So, I think I'm okay with that. Huh. wait. You're right now trying to cut the difference between making me look stupid or making the podcast win. I I can tell. (laughs) It's like, I will let this show burn a fiery death to be right. Which, you know, hey, anybody would do. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the history of absinthe. So where did it come from? (laughs) Uh, Well, it depends (laughs) on... The bottle in my kitchen. The bottle in your kitchen, yeah. Uh, Or Woodenville in this case. Um, no, well, so we've got the like first labeling of absinthe was 1792, uh, a French doctor um, who Doctor Pierre Ordinaire. Yeah, which I keep I keep assuming I have to be pronouncing his last name wrong. That that has to be I, you know. So that guy, if you look into him a little bit, 
Uh, a, it's popular legend that says he did it. I would not be surprised if he was one of those guys driving around um, Europe in a cart selling snake oil. And he may have been made up. Eh, possible. Although his son-in-law was um, Pinod, so or Pinod, uh, Pinod. Oh, not not quite. There was definition. a few. There was a few hops there before it got to the Pernod folks. So it went from uh, the uh, Doctor Pierre Ordinaire to uh, the Henriade sisters of Cuvée. Uh, they used it as a medicinal elixir. Lic- medicinal elixir. I'm glad both of us are tongue-tied tonight. This is going to make it way better. <laughs> yeah, the shocking thing is this was without alcohol. I know. I think that's what my problem is. We Talking is much better. Yeah. We need to drink a full glass of something before starting. Yeah, and then uh, 1797, a uh, major Dubide acquired the formula from the sisters, and then he uh, started up a uh, distillery with his son-in-law, uh, Henri... Louis Pernod. So that's one of those fun things where, uh, as with all things I've discovered from alcohol that long ago, you can find stories that say one thing that have contradictory bits to another or that complement each other in odd ways. Yeah. And like Pernod in that case. But I, I do wonder if these are the same folks that make Pernod now. I didn't actually do the research to find out. I know that the French... Uh, I know that the French distillery for Pernod, uh, because it was like basically across the border from where the Switzerland um, absinthe for uh, Ordinaire was at, um, I know that that distillery, the one that was responsible for that, did burn down, uh, I want to say it was in the early 1900s. Um, I don't remember the date now, it's it's like gone from my head, but... Um, so, I mean, I don't know if that's the same. I don't know if it got, like, recreated. I know that it's kind of in um, New Orleans. It kind of got transferred to New Orleans for a while just because of the, the French, you know, connection there. Yep. I'm actually doing some brief uh, reading here, and it turns out, um, you know, prep before the show would be better. But it looks like... Can uh, we keep talking so that it doesn't seem like we're just awkwardly pausing for you to figure no. out? Uh, so, Pernod is one of the oldest French... Uh, it's got about... 200 years of history. It's the oldest French brand of anise spirits, famous since 1805 uh, for its spirits with extracts of absinthe, uh, you know, appreciated by artists and blah, 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 um, all that stuff. And if I'm not wrong, these folks may own, like the Pernod Company, may own a shit ton of other alcohols. I believe they do at this point. I, I... Like Jameson and something else. I might also be looking at another company that's named similarly. It's a problem with trying to translate French when I haven't actually read French since uh, high school. No, no, that's the same people. Yeah. I need to actually learn French, but that's another story. Uh, No, you don't. Like, Mm, everybody speaks English. Kind of need to, but that's, yeah. We'll ask about that off the air, apparently. Uh, But yeah, I mean, you're, you're totally right. Anything that came from, well, our history books are questionable. Period. End of story. Uh, most things Did you do say sound art history or our history. Our history, oh, and by that I mean I'm pretty much any history book ever written. Fair enough, but yeah. So history was written by the victors, isn't that how that saying goes? Yeah, but I don't know. A guy, I, like, why would we let a guy named Victor write all of the books? That just seems stupid. <laughs> like we couldn't find other people. 
You know, I spent like four hours with Ted today. I do not need more really bad jokes. Oh, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> Shout out to Ted. Hey, you make bad jokes. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think everybody can agree that uh, uh, Absinthe started out in Switzerland. Except for the Egyptians and the Greeks who were making uh, a similar distilled spirit. Oh, I don't know, 1,800 years before that. But well, we'll go ahead and say the Swiss did it. That's kind of like, it's not too dissimilar from the comment of, like, when was the first beer versus, like, what we'd recognize as beer today versus what was the first version of a beer, right? I think uh, general folks agree that the first beer-like thing was honeymead made by uh, the Egyptians. But that's, I mean, like... But that's a mead, so I don't even know how they can call that a beer. It, right, Seems so, like bullshit. But that's, like, kind of like, the same idea, like, what you'd consider how we would recognize beer today versus how it was back then. It's probably one of those differences. But on the same side, who knows? I wasn't there. Yeah, strangely, I wasn't invited. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, ban. 1915. Europe, America, and a bunch of people lost their bloody minds. They did. Uh, it's it's one of those things that, like, reading about it now, it sounds a lot like the biggest reason how come they lost their minds was just because popular opinion started to turn against it and they managed to get people to show up and say crazy things on the record and without any proof because how would you prove it otherwise it became it's kind of like it was like a witch hunt to a certain extent it it also seemed like they did some uh, shaky science i was reading an article where well yeah they took uh i want to say gerbils or something like that and they took uh some pure uh anise um oil like pure the extracts of the oil like like an absolute pure extract like an absolute pure extract uh and then vaporized it in a box with uh a gerbil in it and the gerbil died they took it to the same <laughs> thing with alcohol and the gerbil got really really drunk and they're like uh, see this is worse and you're like but well, it's that is not science buddy that's it's like a different a, compound as well right so like the fujon is the the compound that's actually found inside womerod which is the the special part of absinthe that people would always claim would make you go psychotic and crazy and Van Gogh cut his hair off, all that fun stuff. Ooh, ooh I know an interesting story about that. I'll tell you soon. All right, we'll get to that. Um, but that it's still much like how ethanol is a poison, Thujone is also a poison. It's just a matter of what level of poison is acceptable and okay in your body. It's not too much different than if you look at a labeling package on a on a product if it's less than one percent of what the daily allowance is or requirement or whatever for like you know say fat or sugar or whatever right. you can say it's zero and it's kind of the same thing of like with the thujone it's it's i think it's legally allowed up to i want to say it's 10 milligrams per liter um so yeah it was something in that vicinity it turns out if you do the actual math that in order to get to deadly levels of thujone, you actually have to pass the deadly levels of alcohol first. <laughs> like alcohol poisoning would kick in, cause you to wretch everything out of you, and probably kill you. Before and the- you would still be like a quarter of the way to where you needed to go to get enough thujone yeah. to be a problem. Well, it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier with your friend. Of He had convinced himself that absinthe was going to make him crazy, and so all of a sudden he couldn't feel his tongue. Yeah, and, and like, let's talk about some of the folks that were around that made absinthe popular. They're well-known for having absinthe drinks. You're talking about Ernest Hemingway, uh, James Joyce, uh, Henri, Toulouse, uh, Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec, uh, Van Gogh, Oscar Wilde, Alistair Crowley, Pablo Picasso. 
a number of folks that are well known for excess, right? Um, like I don't know. I think Hemingway's pretty pretty. Yeah, he's giving me this funny look. I can't even finish the statement. <laughs> I'm currently wondering how much American education has failed you. <laughs> because I was trying to make the joke or because you thought I was serious? I thought you were serious, honestly. I'm like, what is he talking about over there? God, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> but when you're looking at a, like a handful of folks... That these, are, already, these are extremists. These are, they're yeah, not... They, they don't do anything half-assed. So if you hold up like... Uh, them it's kind of like saying uh oh god damn it what's the band that steven tyler's in Mc, no 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 i was trying to get to mick jagger through steven tyler because they, they're the same person uh, <laughs> but you mean but, the rolling stones yes, or aerosmith the rolling stones it's kind of like saying that uh well look at how the rolling stones act or acted in the past uh everything that you do is wrong <laughs> I, i'm i'm not sure that that's a well, I mean, I get that comparison, I suppose. I was just, you said the Rolling Stones, and all I could think of was, uh, um, oh, why can't I think of his name? It was there a second ago. Guitarist. Like, he's going to outlive cockroaches. <laughs> oh, um, I'm currently blanking on everybody that was in the Stones. But you know exactly who yes, I'm talking about. Keith Richards. Keith, yes, thank there you. There we go, yeah. Uh, I actually, I want, do you remember who the drummer for the Stones was? Uh Two arms, two legs. <laughs> I don't, I don't so, <laughs> I want to say it was. We're uh, really bad, and we both love music. This I know is that's awesome. this is a horrible, goddamn part of the podcast, but we'll let it go. Uh, I was reading an article the other night, day. Um, apparently, somewhere back in the day, Mick Jagger was um, mm, a few bottles in, and he decided he needed to do an impromptu show at like three o'clock in the morning. So he called up his uh, band, called the drummer up. And, well, drummer being one of the guys he called he's like hey we're gonna do a show and i need my drummer so the drummer i really wish i could remember his name now he uh, got up he got, says this while holding his smartphone by the way uh, i have other things up on it right now uh he the drummer gets up puts on his gear walks down to mick jagger's room knock 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 mick opens the door guy wails on him smacks him in the head knocks him the fuck over goes don't you ever forget you're my guitarist and then leaves <laughs> i was like that is awesome <laughs> like uh you know yeah so yeah that's my kind of people right there yeah that's what i'm saying because mick jagger at one point in time drank a bottle of wine wine must obviously be horrible for you correct that's that's, that's the analogy we're going with here people if you could follow that then good job Let's jump back to uh, Van Gogh for a second. Yeah. So everybody knows Van Gogh um, cut his own ear off, right? Um, it turns out that uh, that's not actually what happened. Well, some historians have done some research and they figured out that they think there's actually a more plausible story. Uh, so at the time, Van Gogh was living kind of off on his own in a house and he was inviting other artists to come spend time with him and they'd work together on art. So uh, he had his friend out, Paul Gauguin, also a uh, French artist, and both of them tended to drink a lot. Uh, and sometimes when like they'd get people. into arguments, they would decide that the only way they could settle their argument was with swords. <laughs> uh, and uh, all right. hey, there, not? there are some uh, letters that were exchanged to them over the years. Apparently after uh, Gauguin left, uh, they didn't, uh, he, he kind of left on some uncertain and quickly shortly thereafter the whole ear thing terms oh. and they uh, maybe mm -hmm. had a falling out for a while 
but there are some letters that seem to indicate through inside jokes between the two of them <laughs> that, oops, sorry about your ear, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the more you know. So these are like well-balanced, yes, normal, exactly. adjusted people have no so personality, should... depression, anxiety, or any other disorders that you could possibly Correct. Imagine. They're a great sample set to start with for determining the effects of alcohols. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, they've actually done legitimate science since then. They've identified the fact that, uh, you know, absinthe is a yummy alcohol. That's it. There's no, uh, no hallucinogenic properties. properties. There's nothing about it that makes you know, want to kill your family. It's a lot like what they, the uh, demonization of marijuana they did in the, uh, what was that, the 30s? Sure. Yeah. I, I, I don't remember. I'm sorry. That's that's a history lesson I don't... Yeah, that'll be our other podcast. We should start a history podcast of shit we don't know. (laughs) That would be a lot. So did you hear about this guy that did this thing in the past with the stuff? I feel like that's actually like could be beneficial. I might actually get some good history lessons out of that since apparently my education failed me. You had an American school, it happens. Mm, Fair enough. But yeah, so basically, uh, right about 1915, uh, pretty much everybody, America, Europe... um, Banned. Most of the world lost their shit. Yeah, most decided. of the world lost their shit and uh, um, stopped making absinthe. So, yeah, and it took until about the 1990s for yeah. the world in general to start going, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what's going on? Apparently it was illegal to sell and consume, but not necessarily to produce. So there's some good stories about how... Uh, at least in France. And there's some good stories about it still being produced in France for various time periods and that mm-hmm. by various people. Um, and now it's it's obviously being made in the States. This is the one I'm drinking. It's very tasty, and it's from Woodenville. Um, yep. I know of another company that was in, or distillery that was in Montana, now in Oregon, going to be making it again. So, um, so uh, in the 90s and even through the early 2000s, uh, when there was talk about absinthe, a lot of it was, are you drinking pre-ban or post-ban absinthe, right? There was this thought that if you were getting the pre-ban stuff, that was the quote-unquote real absinthe, and it would fuck you up. Yes, exactly. Uh, there's actually an interesting story I was listening to on uh, some other show. I don't remember what. Uh, I watch a lot of, I consume a lot of content and remember absolutely nothing about where I consume this stuff from. Uh, but there was a... Uh, Did you know? Little side fact that alcohol reduces your memory consumption or like your memory capacity. So just that. I think that's a lie. They just, can't prove that. Just helping you out with your reasons for how come you might consume a lot of content and not know anything. Mm, not possible. Fair enough. <laughs> Moving on. I have a long line of alcoholics. I can really uh, remember stuff and things with about things. So uh, no, like I was reading this article, I think, and it was talking about a guy that runs a distillery and he was... Um, an ex-chemist or something, right? He started out as a chemist and then moved into distilling, like you do. And he was renovating a uh, hotel or a place that he'd bought that he was going to turn into a restaurant of some variety. Local or? No, it was down in Louisiana. Okay. And he cracked into a wall and found a bunch of cases of pre-ban absinthe. Nice. So he uh, did what everybody does. Drank a bottle? Yeah. Had some. was like, ooh, this is yummy. And then he took the rest, shipped it off to labs, and had it broken down to figure out what it was actually made out of so that he could make, uh, so that he could kind of revive that same label and brand 
and that bring something sense. from the past right yeah. back to us today. But something that like a lot of companies are doing um, for other alcohols in general. A, a mm-hmm. good example of that is the the all comments aside about the source material being James Bond, but his Vesper drink has the Kino Lale. That doesn't actually exist anymore. Um, really? Like that alcohol doesn't exist. Um, now, there's other versions and other things that are like it. There's now a Kina Tonic. Um, there is a Cookie America. No, not Cookie. There is there is a Lale that's made. It's not the same formula. Um, but that's an example of, as best as anyone can tell, that alcohol no longer produced... Actually, all the alcohol mentioned in the original book is pretty mm-hmm. much so no longer produced, so you can't actually make that cocktail anymore. Really? Um, so you can make something similar to it, um, which, I don't know, it's not necessarily my favorite cocktail ever. It's kind of... I like gin. I like Lillet. I don't really like vodka. Yeah. it's It can be a decent cocktail, but, but yeah. Anyways, we're... Hmm. See, I said we would get sidetracked from I, just talking I, about as, acid. As we were talking about this, yeah, as you were bringing that up, it actually just kind of made me wonder what alcohols or spirits or liqueurs are we actually missing out on because they were made by a small distilling company that went out of business or like regional alcohols that we've just you know never gotten because they never made it big. There's a probably yeah, yeah, there's, there's sure. probably a whole host of really yummy um alcohols that we well, just not got to some some could be good some could be bad i mean a great example is well not you're laughing at me but uh, well, those are the options uh, right uh, mediocre okay passable I yeah don't know. i i lump those into bad well, fair enough um but uh you, you think about it like pre and during prohibition era the south was just littered with people ma- making alcohol yep. moonshine out of their backyard um, and the quality of some of that might have been good. The quality of most of that was probably horrendous. Yes. And some of those good quality ones probably still exist, but I, I'm willing to bet a bunch of them don't either. They were just made by somebody who happened to be really good at doing it. And yeah. once he was dead or whatever, and it just didn't get passed on. Right. Yeah. And that's too bad. Like, uh, there's got to be um, alcohol historians out there. So Tons. Um, yeah, I can give you some names after the show. Like I don't have them off the top of my head. But yeah. If anybody out there is doing a uh, doctoral research on this and wants to get in touch <laughs> with us, and uh, we know people that distill, we could probably get uh, get some made. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, did I tell you? Um, I know another guy that's starting. He's starting a brewery, but... So that makes at least two Three people I know, you know starting distilleries, yeah. one starting a brewery. All right. Well, I mean, you know that I'm like messing around with distilling, so I do. Uh, you could be the fourth. Yeah. It's gonna take a while before I actually get to where I'm ready to distill something and consume it, but Yeah. It makes great engine degreaser right now. But. Nice. <laughs> so uh let's see. What other history bits do we have? So right now absinthe is being manufactured most everywhere. There's, uh, oh yeah, the pre and post band thing. Like we said, there was a time where they thought the real shit was what was made before, and that the stuff that came after wasn't the same. There's been uh, a lot of studies that have proven that not to be the truth. Yeah, that's that's all BS. Like the stuff that we're drinking today is just as good, if not better, than what was made in the day. Although I would like to personally do some taste testing to prove that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm gonna hold judgment until I can actually do that. But yeah, so we should build a time machine, go back and get some good alcohols. There's, there's 
caches around of, of pre-band absinthe you can probably find. Yeah, I'm willing to bet those are beyond either my alcohol budget or yours. I don't have an alcohol budget. I know. I don't either explicitly. <laughs> I just have a budget. I'm willing to bet it's beyond your budget and my budget combined. Combined. Our powers are still, are still not enough. Not enough. Yeah. <laughs> Which is saying something because I'm guessing we both spend a fair amount on the alcohols. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I didn't buy like four bottles today. Yeah. I didn't buy I didn't buy any bottles of alcohol today. Well, hey, there you go. So I mean, I did have a couple of gin and tonics at lunch, but well, all right. I didn't have anything at lunch. Hmm. In fact, well, no, I had a I had a cider at, at earlier today, which was fine, but like what, uh, have we done a show on ciders yet? No. They're not, okay. They're not a cocktail, so. That's a good point. You can make cocktails with ciders though. You can. You can make cocktails with beer. We could mm-hmm. we could do a show on beer and cider-based cocktails. We should probably talk about that off the, off the, off the air so that we don't bore our uh, audience with future planning of shows that we'll not actually do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So next time, next we're time on the show. It. <laughs> so let's talk about how you. Uh, let's say we uh, some of our listeners they go out they buy themselves a bottle of absinthe. Um, actually, how do we tell them to buy a good bottle of absinthe? Uh, that's actually a really good question. Um, so a lot of like just at the end of the ban, there were a lot of there were a lot of absinths that were produced or whatever that didn't really have any wormwood in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they used gums and other things to get the, the slight green tinge to them. Well, not gums. They also used copper-based salts. That's so yeah. basically poisonous stuff jammed in there to make it green. Yeah. Um, and th- they would use like gums and sugars and other things to get a green color and flavor profile the way they wanted. It would be a little bit sweeter than we would really want. Granted, that doesn't help you on buying. That just nope. that tells you after the fact whether or not you had a good one or not. A, mm-hmm. The most obvious thing to tell whether or not you have a real absinthe is if you buy it and you add water to it and it does not start to turn this opaque color. Um, the French term for it is the louche, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, basically the emulsification of some of the of the water and the, and the oils in there. If it doesn't start to become so, for those opaque, of you out there that don't know the chemistry. What Aaron's trying to say is that when you add the water to it, there's a chemical reaction that goes on and actually opens up the flavor and provides a lot of the botanicals and assorted other things that are in there to kind of open up and make more of a flavor. Much like when you make tea, right? You dump the tea bag in the hot water and boom, you have yummy tea coming out. Uh, yes. Absinthe does the exact same thing, but with cold water. And yeah, so if it's not turning that color or turning... You got uh, cheated. You got, you got cheated, don't drink it. Um Throw it the F away. Uh, personally, I like French styles better and vert style a little bit better. Um, yeah, we didn't actually talk about the uh, different styles of absinthe, did we? Uh, well, there's like there's like four major styles, and I'm trying to remember what they are. I don't remember all of them either. I remember the ones that I like, which isn't very helpful for this. Uh, but the... French style, I tend to like, so a lot of the French absinths um, tend to be a little bit better, um, in my opinion. I do not like the the couple times that I've tried Czech ones, I have not liked them. Um, along those lines, I do not particularly like uh, the Czech style of preparing it, um, which 
So we've talked a little bit about the preparation of... Well, actually, let's just run through the prep methods real quickly. So there is the French method. Which is what we did today. Which is what we did today, where you take... uh, So in order to do this, there's a couple of things you need. Um, One, you at least need a cool spoon with some holes in it. And then you take... uh, you take a glass, you put uh, uh, basically a shot or thereabouts of uh, absinthe in the glass. You put the spoon over the top of the glass. You set a sugar cube on top of the uh, spoon. And then you pour in about mm, three to five shots of water, depending on taste, and preferably super cold. And you pour it slowly over the uh, uh, sugar cube so that yeah. it melts. And it, kind of- it basically yeah, it dissolves the sugar cube into the glass, pours it through the through the spoon. Um, it also, as a as a general rule, uh, then dis, it then reduces the alcohol by volume down to about the content that you would get from a wine, and the pour size ends up being about the same as a, as a wine pour in the sense that you've got basically somewhere between four and six ounces. Yep, and as with every, well, as with most alcohols, they do have special glasses. They make some glasses that have a bulb at the bottom mm-hmm. and then sort of opens up like a martini glass. Yeah. So you fill up the bulb with the absinthe and then you fill up the martini glass style with your water. Exactly. Um, um, we didn't have any, well, I don't have any of those. So today we're just rocking uh, wine glasses. They work. Yep. The uh, other thing to note about that is the sugar cube is optional. Um, yep. Not required at all. One of the things that was recently expressed to me is the best way to describe whether or not sugar cube would be something that you might or might not enjoy is uh if you take your coffee with or without sugar Hmm. do the same with your absinthe right so if you take your coffee without sugar don't add a sugar cube to your absinthe so if you take your coffee with chocolate syrup um hot milk does that mean uh (laughs) that means you're not drinking coffee right right and Uh ice cubes (laughs) yeah uh no i mean sure uh that, that i guess that means add sugar to yeah. your absinthe so because uh, chocolate's sweet yeah i know for me personally i like my alcohols a lot differently than i like my coffee that's but, uh, general rule uh, I can that was a, that. that was a general rule of thumb that was expressed to me that i thought was a pretty yeah pretty poetic way of, of listening to it so and another thing to think about is i like my absinthe to actually be chilled so yeah. with uh, colder water or occasionally ice cubes like i said initially that's how i started drinking it was just with uh um Ice cubes and absinthe. Yeah, yeah that's where I got mind, to eventually. But I, I don't mind the idea of adding less water, but adding more ice cubes, and then letting the ice cubes actually mellow out the drink over time. Yeah, that way you kind of have a uh, a variable flavor profile over the yeah. whole course of the drink. Right, it starts at one place, it ends in another, and it gives you kind of a a, a, a wider range. Yeah. But really, what you're looking for in doing it this way is you give the uh, the botanicals and the other flavors in there a chance to open up and really give you more flavor. It's the same thing that could happen with you adding small amounts of distilled water to a scotch, where it'll open up, yep. open up the the aroma, and now you know scent is what like ninety five percent of flavor, so mm-hmm. that makes a big difference. So the then next the, style would be the Bohemian method, where you take. I love the look. <laughs> well, I don't think I've heard it called that. If oh. we're talking about the same thing, but go so ahead. So the Bohemian method is where you take the sugar cube and you uh, soak it in absinthe to start yeah, with. Yeah. Okay. You light it on fire, drop it in the absinthe, and then you dump a shot of water in there with it. And and then you shoot it. And then you shoot it. Yeah. Now, as far as I'm concerned, if you're 22 
in a bar and you're trying to get laid, go for it. I mean, buy it for the girl you're with is what I'm saying. Uh, if you're a grown ass person and want to actually enjoy alcohol for the flavors, don't do that. It's just a waste of alcohol. There's a couple of things about it that like some people will try and claim that, oh, you're burning the sugar cube. So you're caramelizing the sugar. So you get a different flavor from the sugar. Um, what it comes down to is really two things. One, that's kind of also referred to as the Czech way of preparing it. That's the way they do it traditionally in in the Czech, uh, areas. And, uh, the problem with that is that you're taking it as a shot. It's high-proof alcohol, and you really don't ever really want to do shots of high-proof alcohol. Uh, it's it's showboating. It's kind of pointless showboating. It, 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 it's kind of, in my opinion, very similar to... Um, it's a way of, like, my drink is inferior, but I can make it look fancy by putting it on fire. Right. Um, and then it was also kind of semi-popularized by a Johnny Depp movie. In the Which 90s. makes it worse. Yeah. But from hell, yeah. by the way, just in case I, I wouldn't wait from hell. That was the period piece, right? Where it was set in England, set in England. It was essentially Jack in, the Ripper story. Yeah. Uh, That's the way he was drinking. Enough, I don't think that way of drinking absinthe came around until more recently. I, I know it's, you know, it's called the Bohemian method, but back in the day, like all of the folks that we talked about, that were part of the Bohemian revolution that were drinking it. were drinking it from like the big, huge, vase style twist out the little that's the final way of preparing we'll yes. talk about in a second I'll, Let, I'll let's talk about that one because let's jump right there because <laughs> my words are as good so an absinthe fountain and the idea is essentially taking you can get them in various styles and whatnot anywhere from two to six spigot styles mm-hmm. um, and the idea is that you would pour your absinthe in your glass um, sugar cube or not as we discussed it would be the same but then you'd put this glass underneath one of the spigots, which is essentially filled with ice water, and you would crack open the spigot, and it just drops through. Yep, slow drops through your sugar or not, but it slowly mixes cold water into your absinthe. And you can sit around and have a chat with friends while you're, you know, preparing your absinthe. Yeah, it it, it adds a bit of ritual to it. It, it definitely, um, you can add the cold water in a much more... Um, controlled fashion thank you that is exactly the word i was looking for yeah um, i personally have never had absinthe prepared that way just because i don't have a fountain and i'm really the only person i knew up until we had a discussion a week or so ago that drank absinthe so uh yeah so the interesting thing with that is i do know of a couple of bars that i've seen that have had that in the past although i don't know that one of them still does um i, I know that for a while let me guess. Um, no, no. Could it be Canon? Nope. <laughs> I wasn't even going to bring them up this time. <laughs> that would be the first episode ever. Uh, no, the name, the Thai food place in Bellevue. Wild Ginger? No. The one that's like downstairs had the 46th drink for a while. Wild Ginger. That's not Wild Ginger, dude. Um <laughs> Um, yeah, I know the I know the restaurant you're talking about. I've been there. Um, for, for the longest time, they actually had a really good absinthe selection. I don't know if they still do. I think the bar manager changed, and they actually had the correct preparation. Uh, the last time I was there, I was unimpressed with the drink quality. So, all right. Well, I haven't been there in forever. So, yeah, there I went go. there with lunch. Uh, I went there with Lizzie for lunch a couple months back, and was like, "This is not what it used to be." 
Uh, and great, we're now n- name dropping our friends that no one else knows about. Exactly. But, yeah. The great thing about the restaurant that neither one of us can remember the name of right now is they had a uh, slightly gimmicky thing where you could uh, roll some dice and uh, the dice would have things on it like uh, a type of spirit or a flavor profile or what else was on there? Was it that? Uh, there was a base liqueur, um, a spirit. Uh, there was a flavor profile uh and like different types of mixers like yeah i think like one dice had like vodka gin scotch bourbon etc i think one dice had like lime lemon another would have like sweet and savory and yeah um, the the weird thing is is i i'd had people tell me about this and i was like no because i don't honestly believe that most bartenders have the capability to look at some dice that have been rolled and make something that tastes good. You know, right? I'm ordering a set of dice that are kind of similar. I'll believe you can make it. Like, oh. I'll trust you on that. That but might be the only time you've ever praised me in the entire time that we've known each other. That's not true. <laughs> I might have done it one other time on accident. Um, but the thing that was impressive to me is when the first few times I was there when I tried this, because, you know, it's a new way to try alcohol. i got to give it a shot. The drinks that came back... Uh, a would never have shown up anywhere on a menu before, and they were phenomenal. So, it's, like everyone I had was like, "This is great." Write this down and like send me a like case of it at home. So the interesting thing about that is that uh, while I do want to do that, I also realize that it's slightly gimmicky in that depending on how many dice you use and what the results are, there's a style of drink you can use for anything that mm-hmm. comes up that will be effective. Yeah. Right, so like if you only roll four dice and you're trying to make a cocktail and the four dice that you roll are a base liquor, uh, a type of sweetener, and, you know, yeah. right, like you end up with, oh, look, I'm making a version of a martini. Right. It's just, you know, it's rather than gin, it's now bourbon, and rather than vermouth, it's now some other Amaro, and all of a sudden, oh, yeah, I'm good now. Yeah, like... It is gimmicky. The ratios don't change is what it comes down to. Right. right? But it does allow you to try out some new things and get oh, some yeah. new flavors that you wouldn't get otherwise. It's a lot of fun. Like, I love the idea. So that, that's going to be a cocktail party at my house. Ooh, invite me for that one. I might need to stay over. Uh, <laughs> you've got a floor, right? I do have a floor, Sweet. yes. Um, the Let's talk a little bit, though. I think those are the main ways of preparing absinthe if you're looking to drink just absinthe. Yes. Um, there's some other methods of prep out there. Um, there's some fairly popular drinks called corpse revivers. They do have absinthe in them. And they do have absinthe in them. Um, now, or they can potentially have have absinthe in them. Yeah. Um, I have had a number of corpse revivers at a bar that is no longer in existence. Um, that were just phenomenally awesome. And I have not gotten them anywhere else that have been nearly that good. So when you look up Corpse Reviver on the internet, you'll find Corpse Reviver 1, Corpse Reviver 2, uh, Kentucky Corpse Reviver, Savory Corpse Reviver, you know. I think number two is my favorite, personally. But Yeah, and if I'm at a bar that has Corpse Revivers, I'll usually go with the Corpse Reviver 2. Uh, but at the bar, at Venick, it's the bar that's no longer there, um, they had a Corpse Reviver number seven that <laughs> uh, they themselves had kind of extended the Corpse Revivers well beyond two. And, yeah, that makes uh, sense, right? If you, you have a style of drink and you want to keep... Keep it going. keep it Not just keep it going, but like you're curious about like what happens. I, I, it, alcohol is an interesting thing. Um, I'm having a discussion with a friend 
about a particular cocktail that's called the paper airplane. And um, basically, from what I can gather, the bartender who first originally made it up called it the paper airplane because that was the song that was playing on the radio at nice. the time that he'd made it. And it's... it's Oh, God, I can't remember all the items in it right now. It's like four. It's relatively simple, right? It's like bourbon, an Amaro, but it was a very specific Amaro. It was mm-hmm. the Amaro Nonino. Uh, lime juice and Aperol. That was the last bit. Ooh. Um, it might be lemon juice. It's it's one. Of, it's either lemon or lime juice. Yeah. Um, and, and Aperol, this uh, Amaro Nonino and bourbon. He didn't have Nonino, so he did Amaro Nardinia. Mm-hmm. They're similar, but they have different profiles, right? right. Um, so just that little change will make a big difference in how the drink tastes. So oh, we're yeah. actually going to do a, a taste test of doing them side which by one side. Is, uh, better? Not just so much one's better, but like what's the differences, right? Now, mm-hmm. And that's the, the same idea of like you can take that and apply it to the corpse survivor idea, and all of a sudden you've got, well, if I use this particular French absinthe that is... 72% by volume. And then next time through, I s- decide I'm going to try a Pernod instead and see yep. if that's slightly different. What's the flavor profile? What what changes, right? You can easily get to a number seven mm-hmm. on your corp- revisor, corpse reviver. Wow, cannot talk. Um, yeah, we'll get that fixed shortly. Yeah. yeah. Another my- round, Garcon. Wait, that's me. Hold on. Right. Yes, you are You are the Garcon this evening. Uh, my favorite thing about uh, the Crimson Survivor number seven, which is probably lost to the world now, because I can't remember what was in it, other than it was super yummy and had <laughs> cracked pepper on the top of it. Ooh, like cracked peppercorns? Yeah, cracked peppercorns. Like, like the first time I got... Like, fairly fresh? Like, like, yeah, like, like fresh. S- small enough that they'd be like still flakes, like almost... Or was it more like literally cracked? Cracked. Like Wow. They had the peppercorn crack crack, and it had... Uh, Egg white, cracked peppercorn, and a little bit of uh, something that made it sp- just the tiniest hint of spice. And then it was uh, absinthe-based drink. Oh, tiniest. my God, was it good. Was it absinthe-based, or just did it have a decent amount of absinthe? Because it should be gin-based, I would think. Well, it was, it, it, if I remember right, it was about equal parts gin and absinthe. That has some potential. I'm curious what they used to spice it up. And outside of maybe just Tabasco, which is... It sounds weird, but it gets used in, in cocktails. Almost everything, yeah. Um, huh. But it was super yummy. Uh, like, I had never, like, up until that point, I had never had a cocktail that I would have actually told anybody about and said, go get this. But, ooh, yeah, theirs was good. <laughs> I'm just laughing because I'm, like, staring off in the distance going, how do I make this? How do I make this? We can try. This happens often whenever someone talks about some sort of a cocktail. Like, there was one that I had recently at uh, Revel that was a... Um, it was a basically a take on a martini mm-hmm. or a Manhattan, I guess. Perhaps might be a better way of phrasing it just because of what was being used. But it was Calvados and Burr. And like it was just insanely good. Um, really? Calvados being a, a apple brandy from France that's... I say apple brandy and, and if you're used to the American style, it's very sweet. The French style is very dry and... and I'm you, a much larger fan of dry brandies than uh, sweet. So ones. you'd like Calvados. It has a not an overpowering amount of an apple flavor, but you can taste the apple at the end. Um, and then yeah. Burr is a pretty powerful herbal bitter Amaro. Okay. 
That sounds yummy. It was. It was very good. So let's talk how to build a Corpse Reviver 2, just in case our listeners don't know how to use the internet and they can't actually search for it themselves. Go for it. So you uh, typically will use about three quarters of an ounce of gin, three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice, three quarters of an ounce of control. Contro. I hate saying Quantro. that word. Quantro. There we go. Or triple sec. <laughs> no, don't use triple sec. <laughs> hey, if it's all you got and you want to give it a shot, start out there and then go buy some actually good stuff. All right. Fair enough. Um, three quarters of an ounce of Lillet and a dash of Lillet. Lillet. Yeah. We're going all French now? Like 20 minutes ago, you couldn't do French to save your goddamn soul. Now you're going to correct me? Is I'm going to correct you when it comes to alcohols. I know how to pronounce correctly. Yes. Fine. And then uh, basically throw it all together in a shaker with some ice, shake it up, and uh, strain into a chilled glass. That is correct. And it will be super yummy. Like, Corpse Survivors number twos are good. I really enjoy these. Like, uh, I was in, actually, I was in Vegas uh, last year for a half marathon. <laughs> and so one of the drawbacks to going to Vegas when I'm running a half marathon is I don't drink that much leading up to a half marathon because I don't want to be all dehydrated. Dehydrated before the race. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. So uh, everybody else I'm there with, though, is drinking. Hardcore drinking. All the way up until race yeah, day. Yeah, but for Matt, that's like a beer. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about my wife, and she can hold her liquor. Oh, okay, fair um, enough. So by the time yeah, I your f- wife is one of the few people I would not want to actually try to outdrink. That's probably right. Uh, so when I finish the race and like you know we go out, I can start drinking. By then, everybody else is like you know they're still happy to drink. The next day we get up, everybody's like, "Oh my god, I've been drinking for three days and I'm gonna die. I cannot possibly drink anymore." People, no. See, no, 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 don't do this to me. That's where we come along, is that we've got good stamina. Exactly. So the first thing I do post-race, after having a steak dinner and taking a nap, I then... Uh, drink? Drink. I'm as surprised. As much you... as I absolutely can yeah. for the rest of the trip. Uh, to the point where by the time I get on the airplane, were I a normal person, they would not let me on the airplane. <laughs> so... Um, Did your sweat smell profusely of alcohol? I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh but I so I parked in the bar at Caesars, and I'm looking over their uh, drink list, and I'm like, oh, they've got a Corpse Survivor number two. Wait, because I'm like, I will take a Corpse Survivor number two. She's like, um, actually, I'm totally happy to get you one of those, but you're gonna want to wait about 15 minutes. <laughs> I'm like, why? Why do I want to wait? Bartender change. Yep. Yep. She's like, the guy that's on right now, you do not want him to make you that drink. And I'm like. Thank you so very much. Can I it's, have a... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Can I have anything else yeah. for the time being? It's like, give me a Hendrix and Tonic. I'll be right here. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny because uh, you'd think, here's a, here's a drink with the recipe. You follow the recipe. You make it, and it tastes the same. And it's just not the truth, right? It's, nope. it's no different than well, a lot any of, other bit of cooking, really, right? You, you take a recipe for anything, and you could have someone who doesn't know what they're doing or doesn't... I shouldn't say doesn't know what they're doing. Someone who does not care, right? Make it, and it will taste okay or or not, but it won't be spectacular. As yep. opposed to you have someone who loves to cook, make and you a steak, and all of a sudden this is like they could have done nothing different other than I've used butter and salt, and it tastes amazing, way. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, all that to say, go get a Corpse Survivor too. They are super yummy. Um, but yeah. And I think that pretty much does it for uh, today, doesn't it? Yeah, I think I can't think of anything else. Great. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Go and, drink uh, a cocktail. Go find a cocktail. We'll talk to you soon.